player in fantasy football has a ceiling and floor outcome. And because of that, you're going to find split opinions on every single one. So today, with the help of the great Ron Stewart, we'll focus on seven of these names we are split on with high and low end outcomes in mind. Ron, I will say some of these players you and I see very, very differently. But then there are others where you and I are in sync. And it's the public. It's all of you. It's the ADP that we disagree with. Well, I'm excited to be on here. I think we have a little bit of a of a debate going here. It'll be a Great. friendly debate. Um, I know you are recently married, so I think you might have a, a leg up on me in that department. But <laughs> I have more I'm experience. Excited. I'm excited to talk some ball <laughs> with my guy, Josh, here. I'm yeah. excited, of course. You're one of our favorite guests on the channel. Hayden's out for two weeks. We'll have a bunch of guests here in the next two weeks. And I wanted to kick it off with you. And there's no better name to kick this off with than when I say ceiling and floor, all of you think of Kyle Pitts. Um, you were gracious enough to send me your exposures over on Underdog Fantasy. And I saw Kyle Pitts all the way up at 22%, your second highest drafted player overall, going right now as tied in five, 70th overall. Why, Ron? Tell the people. I think he's a good player. That's kind of what it boils down to with Kyle Pitts. And I think that kind of highlights the ceiling here, right? Is talent, I think, drives ceiling, especially when we're catching the football. And with Kyle Pitts, like, it's pretty easy to say, highest drafted tight end ever, 6'6", 4'4", speed. Now, the fantasy points haven't been there. But if we look at yards per game through a tight end's first two seasons, the only tight ends ahead of Kyle Pitts right now, uh, George Kittle, Jeremy Shockey, Rob Gronkowski, Jimmy Graham, Aaron Hernandez, Kellen Winslow. That's it. In terms of tight ends through their first two years, I had a better yards per game. Kyle Pitts is right here with like Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Antonio Gates of like this 45 yard plus club. And even last year, I know you would hate to like to shy away from the per route stuff and the, uh, you know, peripherals. But Kyle Pitts was elite, right? 34 percent target per route run. Number one in the NFL, 13 deep targets. Number one in the NFL, 13.1 a dot. So he's down the field, kind of like a Mark Andrews in a way where his targets are going to be efficient. There's a lot of upside there where even in a bad offense, like the one he's in, right. in Atlanta, he can sort of thrive there just because every single one of his targets are so valuable when we're talking about Kyle Pitts, just kind of down the field. I like that a lot. And I want to lead with the same point that I think Kyle Pitts is good at football and will be good at football. And the way he moves as you all are watching right now, it's, it's undeniable. Um, but I want to go back to maybe his rookie season that a lot of us are kind of attached to because even in that 1,000 yard historic season, the second ever for a first year player, Cal Pitts finished as the tight end 12 in points per game. Only the second ever, again, rookie to hit 1,000 receiving yards and he's still only eclipsed 10 fantasy points in three contests. And because of that, it's not like you were amped to start him on a week to week basis. And it comes back to maybe not the catches or the yards. And it's all about the touchdowns. Like in 27 career games, Cal Pitts has only had 19 red zone targets. 19. I mean, to put that into context, David and Joku had 20 alone last season. Even Drake London in the same offense last year had 16. It's so easy to go back and watch Cal Pitts last year and get frustrated not just with the passing offense where it used him in like a downfield capacity. Also, Marcus Mariota being unable to hit him on those downfield targets, like those off-target rate numbers are staggering when you look at Kyle Pitts. I'm just nervous that we haven't seen the usage of Kyle Pitts equal that of the same path that we get 
for like so many other tight ends. And so maybe I'm in the wrong here, Ron. And I'm just asking this question. Like, should we even view Kyle Pitts as all other tight ends? Sometimes I feel yes. Sometimes I feel no, because he is a unicorn. But at the same time, it leaves me uncomfortable when looking to draft him. That's why Kyle Pitts is so interesting. And I think he's great for this video because he is one of those guys where I feel like we do kind of view him in a different lens, right? He comes in with all this hype. He kind of looks like a wide receiver. Like, and I think that conversation is kind of why I like him a lot too, because I mean, if you look just at, you know, target per run yards per run, him in right. London weren't super far, even points per game. I think him in London were probably, you know, maybe one or two points off last year. You can sort of project them similarly. Whereas like if London hits his projection, we're talking, you know, like a wide receiver too, that's like kind of replaceable where Kyle Pitts, and I think that it's sort of obvious, but if he was to do, you know, what Drake or if him and Drake London have the same stat line next year, you know, you could be talking about the tight end two in all of fantasy versus just like a random wide receiver too. Right. Um, And on that point of touchdowns, I do agree. The touchdowns are concerning just because the offense might not be good. The red zone targets haven't been there. I will say, I, I will say the issue with tight ends is that they're so random, right? He had 15 red zone targets in year one. Then in year two, he was on pace for 8.5. So like it almost like halved there. Right. We've seen guys like and remember, touchdowns like, are so important for the position. Exactly. And we have, you know, George Kittle, his entire thing these years have been like, when's he going to score touchdowns, right? Prior right. to last year, he scored six. And then last year, he scores 11 in a year where they have like two different quarterbacks and uh, a bunch of random things going on. So I, I do understand the hesitation because the offense isn't great. But like it, it's so tough to look at him and be like 6'6", Kyle Pitts. He, it has to click eventually. I, obviously, we can't say it's going to this year, but I think that it's at least uh, within his range of outcomes. It's really just going to come down to how much Ritter can kind of, you know, just keep the offense afloat in a way where it's, you know, they're sustaining drives and being efficient in any capacity. There's two more things I want to focus on here and why I'm not drafting as much Cal Pitts as you are. And one, I just love some of the players he's being drafted around. Like he's sandwiched between three of my favorite players all summer long drafting an underdog right now he's one spot behind damian pierce i'll eat that up he's one spot ahead of the likes of jordan addison and john dotson like whenever i'm on the clock and in that territory and like all these guys are on the board or even one of them is then man i i can just talk myself into the pathway for those other players than i am cal pitts and your point though where his targets are more valuable than a lot of the other ones that we see like I mean, just looking at the A dot of his compared to like Tyler Higby, they play different positions, even if they are listed at the same spot. But man, it's the touchdowns. And yeah, it, it's we're going to talk about another player in this offense here in a little bit. Arthur Smith is really good at certain things and hasn't been good so far in the passing game. And your note on Drake London versus Cal Pitts, I think Drake London's going 43rd overall. Cal Pitts is going 70th overall. I am drafting a lot of Drake London, but not as much Cal Pitts, even though your point on if they have equal seasons, the tight end is going to be the one that rises and makes you feel better about drafting him versus the one that Drake London has going to have. We'll stick on the same team, and this won't be an entire whole Falcons show. I guarantee it. But Bijan Robinson is your seventh overall player and running back two. He's dropped a little bit on underdog this summer. Now he's being drafted as the running back three, 10th overall. And if I'm reading your exposures correctly, among all first round picks, he's tied with Stefan Diggs as your highest percentage drafted player in round one. Why? 
I think it, it just for some reason it's so cozy to take Bijan like around that. I mean, I mean now we're getting him like late first, but I mean yeah. just being able to pair him, you know, with like you can go Bijan Devonte Adams at like the ten spot, and that feels amazing. But with Bijan for me is it, it's almost a it's almost a bet against how brutal the running back landscape has been the last two years. Like if we look at just the two last RB one overall seasons with JT and Eckler in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. They're not even cracking the top eight best point per game seasons over the last five years. So that's like a, a pretty, you know, condensed timeline here where we just haven't seen any running back that has done much to give you that, you know, next step of a ceiling. And I'd almost rather bet on the blank box, you know, fresh legs coming in, someone who has completely broken the mold. Like people were telling me, like, Ron, you got to adjust your model. Running backs aren't going in the first round anymore. You got to adjust the model. You know, the, the Brees Hall second round draft capital, that might as well be first round draft capital. No, Bichon goes eighth overall. Yep. And if we look at, if we look at the, there's like nine running backs taken top 10 since 2007, which was Adrian Peterson. And you have uh, Saquon, who would have been the RB1 overall last year, his rookie year. Zeke would have been the RB2 overall uh, in his rookie year last year. Six of the nine would have been RB7 or better in points per game. Now, of course, we're drafting him like RB3, but if you finish RB7 or better, like you're not sinking a team. You know, it's right. you're in there. You're at least, you know, you're being a you're first round pick. You're helping. Yeah. Yes. And he has a receiving profile coming out of school that's so unique. The only guys that he had an average of six PPR points added through the air, um, average per season in college, only Saquon, CMC, and CJ Spiller. Uh, top 10 running backs that had that same sort of feat. So in a in an era right now where you can say McCaffrey has that, you know, 24 plus point per game ceiling, but we haven't seen it in forever. He's on the Niners now or you have like Elijah Mitchell who's going to salt away games. So I don't mind once McCaffrey's gone and you're kind of looking at a tough spot in the draft. Like right now, I think the 106 is the worst spot to be in where you get the the top four wide receivers of like Tyreek Cup. You have uh, Chase Jefferson, you have McCaffrey off the board. And then you're either taking like a 34-year-old tight end. You're taking, I mean, like Diggs has been fine, but he's just right. the number one receiver for Allen. You can take Eckler, but he's getting old at this point. And this, he still hasn't really demonstrated that next step, you know, in terms of like ceiling of being like a true. It, it, he's kind of just been the RB1 in a, in a weak running back landscape the last two years. So I don't mind kind of leaning into the young ascending player in Bijan. And we have seen rookies kind of, you know, stack on their best stats towards the end of the year, like Jonathan Taylor, his rookie year. So I, I it, it's sort of easy to see how Bijan's maybe a league winner down the stretch uh, just from a profile standpoint and sort of what Arthur Smith wants to do uh, in the run game. I like what you said that he's almost the unknown being drafted around all the known superstars. And so it's all about if you want to like wade into the darkness and uncomfortability of like what could Bijan Robinson be. And I looked at many of the same players that you did, like, basically just the ones drafting the top 10 because that's so different than like the Najee Harris's, the Sony Michelle's, the Rashad Penny's in the late round one. I think you and I can agree on that. And it's all up to like if they have a split backfield versus if they don't. Like Zeke, Fournette, Saquon Barkley all had at least 300 touches during their first seasons and that equaled anywhere from 10 to 16 touchdowns. No split in their backfield, right? And that ranged from the seventh overall player drafted to the 23rd overall player. Um, Christian McCaffrey did have a split backfield during his rookie season with kind of two ways, Jonathan Stewart and Cam Newton. But yeah. his big difference was he had 80 receptions of his 197 touches. And I think he ended or was drafted that year as the 30th overall player. Um, so I guess my question is like, it's a simple one. Do we think Bijan Robinson is going to get 300 touches during his rookie season? You know, 
because if we are guaranteed him getting 300 touches, it's easy. Like the Falcons were so good last year at run blocking. I mean, according to Rich Rebar, their running backs led the NFL in rushing yards with 2,200 and yards per carry at 4.9. And that was again with Tyler Algier, Caleb Huntley, and like these other pieces. Like Arthur Smith again has some issues, but his running schemes and that offensive line are fantastic. And then you add on to that a talent of Bijan Robinson. B. John Robinson, who led the class and created yards for himself, forced missed tackles, second best in the group, so on and so forth. And it could be really special there. I'm just a little nervous that with how successful they have been with Tyler Algier, that maybe that keeps him to like 225, 250 instead of that 300 mark. Yeah, I, I think it, it's at least a it's at least a conversation because you have like a, I, we can kind of mention Cordell Patterson, too, just in terms of, you know, True. being a gadget and um, taking touches that way. But. It's such a like to to take a guy eighth overall, and I know you're big into the draft. Like, I feel like you all, you have to, especially a running back right now with all like the you know the ridiculing that could go on if you if you whiff on that pick or you don't use him correctly. It seems to me like it's a spot where where they would just run him into the ground. And I know Algier has been good, but we have definitely seen like uh, these day three guys, their juice isn't as sticky year to year. Like, I don't know, I don't know if that makes sense, but like. I'm just thinking through like Michael Carter on my Jets, like day three guy. He looked solid his rookie year. Obviously, didn't put up like a thousand rushing yards like Algier, but like it just completely like left him uh, this next year with Brees Hall. So I, I'm not saying that Algier is going to, you know, fall off the face of the earth in his second year, but there's a chance that he was just kind of like, you know, the best looking guy in a Walmart. You know what I mean? Like just kind of like oh. him, Huntley, Patterson, and he, you know, maybe it was even sort of, uh, you know, propped up by the scheme the running scheme all of that so i i think i think i would lean on the side that he just gets the you know de facto touches maybe similar to Brees hall where like those first like four weeks they kind of maybe want to do like a little 1a 1b but it does feel like i i think if if Bijan is truly the the prospect that he's been sort of like hyped up to be i think he would sort of leave them no choice than to give him you know like 18 plus touches a game somewhere in that area yeah I want to play this clip from James Palmer today of uh, NFL Network. Most intriguing prospects in this entire draft. I heard, you know, Daniel Jeremiah and Buck breaking it down every week. What happens with Bijan Robinson? And I think the situation you land in is always so important. He's taken eighth overall to a team that wants to use him a lot. And I think Arthur Smith is a perfect fit. Now, what I was told by people down there watching him throughout OTAs and through minicamp, it wasn't him as a running back. It was this guy is going to be a hell of a weapon for us. It was in the passing game and the mismatches that they already saw on the field. They knew that he could be a weapon used in a variety of ways, but when they had a chance to see it firsthand during OTAs and minicamp, he exceeded their expectations, I'm told. And this is a backfield that already has other backs, Buck, they can split the load with. They can also carry the football that allows him to be able to be playing in different spots in a scheme for a head coach that knows how to use running backs. I think it's a perfect fit in a sense, an exciting player to watch because he wants to use him in a variety of ways. Yeah. All right. Does it make you uncomfortable that we're getting the offensive weapon moniker? Cause it does me like when I hear offensive weapon, I think of an Arthur Smith offense, Cordero Patterson from a couple years ago, which was a really nice breakout and surprise, but that doesn't equal, you know, the running back to overall season. And to be honest with you, hearing offensive weapon makes me a bit more likely to draft Tyler Algier as running back 47 because if he gets to do the easy stuff while Bijan does the difficult stuff, that's like a layup. 
Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting blurb. Like the thing is, is like they like every coach swears that the their running back is going to be an offensive weapon. Totally, like that's that's a tough. Part I would for rather me. hear Ron. Oh, we're just going to give him 350 touches, and it's an easy game, right? I would much yeah. rather hear that. I, I think it's I think it's it's tough to say. Uh, obviously, it's tough to say because we're just kind of you know we're the middleman. I guess we're yeah. doing a lot of guessing. Uh, I do agree. It's it's a bit of a concern. I do think though, like I I, I want to see I, I want to challenge Arthur Smith to have that discipline though to keep you know Bijan under 15 touches and sort of see how that is because I think even if he does like I I have to think if he if he's true to like using him as a weapon like kind of Kamara his rookie year where of course like we're talking somebody you took in, like the 16th round and he was amazing but still I mean if you took rookie year Kamara in round one, he would have been amazing. Now, of course, we're threading a really thin needle there saying, you know, Bijan on less than like 15 touches per game can get there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's definitely, I think it's a concern, but I, I do think uh, the offensive weapon, if you want to spin it the other way, could be that he's just going to get used in the passing game a lot more right. than maybe, you know, like a Derrick Henry in his previous schemes, or, you know, you don't have to take this guy off the field and, you know, third oh. down situations and everything. Yeah. I think his re- receiving style is a bit different than Christian McCaffrey, but Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting conversation. And like, maybe we get answers during the preseason and maybe that we don't, but to your point, the only way he doesn't hit is due to injury, you know, and you can say that about like every single running back prospect or running back in general. And so like if his four outcome, because he only gets, you know, 13 touches, as you said, what that's the running back 10 versus the running yeah. back, maybe two overall. But if he does get that 350, 300 touch mark, then it's like wheels up. There's zero question to this. I'm just intrigued to see what, uh, Mr. Arthur Smith cooks up. Okay, next up. Miles Sanders. He's being drafted right now as running back 20. I have him all the way up as running back 16. I think the rankings you sent me is running back 23. Um, to me, this is all about your opinion personally versus the Panthers coaching staff opinion and which one you think is going to win out. The continued verbiage out of Deuce Staley and Frank Reich right now is that Miles Sanders has three down ability and that they plan to use him in that way. Quote from Frank Reich, he's really in a lot of ways a complete back. We really look for that in the number one spot. We want them to be on the field on all three downs. And while the most recent years of Miles Sanders would suggest that that is a crock of shit and absolutely not going to happen, um, when Deuce Staley has coached him, this has been true. In 2019, as a rookie, Miles Sanders had 63 targets. Then in 2020, his second year in just 12 games, it was 52 targets. Now, I understand that year, he was incredibly inefficient. He turned those 52 targets into less than 200 yards. That was also an Eagles offense, let's not forget, that had Carson Wentz throwing to Travis Fulgham, Jalen Rager, and Greg Ward was the leading receiver on that team. So, of course, they're going to be inefficient. And then the last few years, you know, when Jalen Hurts comes in, we've talked about with DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny, they're just rarely used in the passing game. So, Again, this comes back to me where he is going to get the first opportunity to be not just the early down runner, but the passing down player as well. And he has to fail for it to not happen. And then on top of that, Raheem Blackshear, Chuba Hubbard must step up. And so he's going after Ken Walker, Aaron Jones, J.K. Dobbins, Alexander Madison, who the first three of those are certainly in split backfields. And so if we're getting Miles Sanders not in a split backfield, to me, I don't know why he's going after some of those players right now. I'd say the thing that scares me about Miles Sanders is just the kind of when you zoom out and you just you think of like the profile of what Miles Sanders is this year, which 
is kind of that, you know, dead zone-ish running back where we're kind of just, we're projecting the, you know, the three down, you know, the three down workhorse role to all come together. And even if it, even if it does come together, I, I question like what, what's the payoff, right? Like last year he had like 1300 yards, 11 touchdowns, and he was the RB 21 in points per game. So it gets to a spot where it's like, you know, what on this offense where it's not going to be a lot of touchdowns or we're probably, you know, at his ceiling, we're probably talking like 50 plus catches, probably flirting with like 1100 rushing yards, somewhere in the six touchdown range, which isn't bad, but it's tough in this range where there's all these wide receivers that I like taking. And we're looking at Godwin and Deontay Johnson and Marquise Brown and JSN Lockett. And I think so that's sort of the issue for me is where he's going right now, where he's kind of propped up because of that projection. And instead of like buying that profile early to me, just in terms of, I know we're kind of getting like meta here on, on Miles Sanders, but I would rather, you know, I would rather take one of those wide receivers. Cause I think that there's such a tier break. Like once you get, I mean, like once you get to like the eighth round and you're staring at like Cortland Sutton, that's when I've sort of figured out like, okay, wide receivers sort of run dry here. And you look, and there's just so many running backs where you're looking at like uh, James Connor, Alvin Kamara, Antonio yeah. Gibson, uh, Rashad White. So, and I don't see their projections like all that different from Sanders, right? Where you could say like Rashad White and James Conner are similar profiles where like right. they can kind of be projected for three down roles. So it's kind of just like you're paying like a like almost like a two round plus premium on Sanders um, to get something that's a little bit uncertain. Ron, I totally agree with you on James Conner and that he is going like two rounds later. But what I don't understand, though, is then when we have like the Madisons, the Dobbins, the Aaron Jones going ahead of him, you know, so it kind of is almost threading, threading that needle because I'm drafting a ton of James Conner. I know you and I are drafting a ton of Damian Pierce where he's going right now, too. And so it's not like I don't like other players going after him. I do. And I appreciate the values that we're getting there. I also just think Miles Sanders is a value in comparison to the split backfields that we're seeing being drafted in front of him. I can really, I could really only make the case for J.K. Dobbins. I do like Dobbins just because I think, I think where he's not giving you projection, uh, like Sanders, if this offense just explodes and like J.K. Dobbins has like a efficient version of kind of like Mark Ingram in 2019, I think that's how he kind of pops off. And people sort of forget J.K. Dobbins was a pretty decent uh, receiver in college. Now, of course, like with Lamar, he's probably not going to get anything crazy, but you could see him flirt with like 40 plus. Yeah. Um, catches. Of course, you have the ACL. So he's not uh, a perfect bet either. I just see like to me, I, I see a world where J.K. Dobbins is just like an absolute like monster, like top 10 just has maybe leads the league in touchdowns or something. Sanders for me is a little bit tough because he would almost have to like perfectly thread enough volume to then get to a spot where like even then, e- even if he threads the volume, he's probably still at like 15 points per game, like where you can kind of like maybe and now. In best ball, it's a little bit different because you can't just stream off waivers. You just have your, you know, your pool of running backs. But he feels like somebody I can make up ground on in leagues a little bit easier where, you know, there's wide receivers in that round five, six area I want. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's more so it's almost like more game theory dependent than it is uh, on Sanders himself. It's just I, I think that the the role could be there, but it's tough when we haven't seen it uh, in like, you know, two and a oh, half wow. years. You know, yeah. it, you, you kind of have to take the word. Uh, of the coaches i've i've been burned uh one too many times uh <laughs> by the coaches in the media yeah and i understand like ian our buddy um post a clip of deuce taylor as soon as he was drafted saying well he wants a running back by committee i would say that that was before that they spent the highest money of any free agent running back this offseason on a running back and that that verbiage changed once that happened and to your point this era of the draft i always want three or four picks 
You know, like I can never get enough of Deontay Johnson, uh, Michael Pittman, Traylon Burks, Damian Pierce, Jordan Addison, John Dotson. Like we've talked about Kyle Pitts already. Like, man, that area is such a sweet spot. Uh, and then it gets really nasty after that. <laughs> okay. Next up, another running back. Nick Chubb. It's been maybe of like the guys drafting the top two rounds, the one who's climbed the most so far. Early in the summer, we were able to get him as like the 21st overall player. Now he's jumped up all the way up to running back four, 14 overall. Ron, the ceiling outcome here to me is the running back one overall season. Um, I mean, last year he posted career highs and carries, rushing yards, yards from scrimmage, total touchdowns. He's averaged five yards per carry in every single season as a professional. He led the NFL in 15-plus yard carries last year, and I think a huge part of it is what Kevin Stefanski does in terms of creating light boxes for him, something that you know defenses don't want to have light boxes when facing Nick Chubb, but these three wide receiver sets, heck, even David Njoku can make it even more dangerous. And that was with, you know, Jacoby Brissett and a bad Deshaun Watson. I think all of us, rightly or wrongly, are expecting a huge step up just in the efficiency of this offense and the success of this offense. And so many people focus on the receptions, and we can get to that. But if the offense is just flat out better, that's going to mean more touchdown scoring opportunities for Nick Chubb, who just had 20 carries inside the 10-yard line last season. 12th among all running backs. So if we get the guy who literally is the best like explosive runner in the league, who's getting the most work he'll ever get, including last year, and then now maybe is top five to seven and carries inside the 10-yard line, again, a running back one overall season, I think, is in the range of outcomes here for Nick Chubb in 2023. I don't think I necessarily disagree uh on his ceiling this is this is the most in i've ever been on nick chubb like he's and i have him 5.6 percent drafted but that's the most in i've been usually i'm like around zero uh i agree he's really good i uh actually made a video saying like the three must draft offenses and i had the browns on there uh i think like matthew barry had like a an article after after the combine saying that there were like whispers saying that the browns are going to pass more this year and that's the fancy uh kind of tipped his hand like the last game uh passing the ball a bunch in like a bad weather game so I'm completely on board, but it's like I give I give you Chubb people an inch and you take a foot. Like yes. I was like, okay, I'll take him. Uh, okay, end of round two, I, I can take Nick Chubb there. Like that's a that's a great price. And then it's like, oh, uh, he's going six seventeenth, and it's like, okay, I can I can maybe get there, guys. And then it's you know fourteen two two oh three two oh two now, and it's like, guys, like there's receivers on the board that I would like to draft here, so I just can't. So. I, the issue for me is the way that graphs are going right now. It's so weird that Chubb has all of this momentum forward because the running backs are still lagging behind him. You know, like you still have you're still getting top 12 running backs like middle to late third, which is really weird. So it gets to a spot where the way that I kind of see wide receiver right now is like once Garrett Wilson, Amon Ross St. Brown are off the board. You have like you have Waddle T and Devonta Smith who are a little bit capped because you have like their wide receiver one next to you. Uh, you have Alave, and it doesn't really feel like there's a huge difference between those guys and like the Calvin Ridley's, Keenan Allen's. You can get, you know, like around later. So, like right. when the two v two for me comes down to like Chubb and uh, let's say Chubb and Calvin Ridley versus like Devonte Adams and Brees Hall. Yeah, I would just rather I would rather go Devonte Adams, Brees Hall until kind of the running back market corrects itself. But like I said, like I'm in on the Browns. You guys are getting a little bit crazy here. I probably. 
like I, I think that he's in the same tier as like Saquon um, and JT. And I agree with everything you said where like people forget, like I, I actually have this graph. People are like, dude, you're, you're such an idiot for talking about what he did in college. But Nick Chubb caught a lot of passes his freshman year. He caught like 18 passes his freshman year at Georgia, which is really impressive. I think he can catch the ball much more than he has in the NFL. So he could be kind of like uh, Josh Jacobs last year where he like leads the league in rushing. He has like 50 plus catches. And then he also, you know, gives you like 15 to 20 touchdowns in like what could be a better offense. So I'm all the way there. I just think with every increasing day, we're, we're he's going to be a 10th. He's going to be the 10th overall pick by the time he gets to like week one. He's it's going uh, to be like as soon as AJ Brown's off the board, it's going to be Nick Chubb time. It's such a great comment because wide receivers are being drafted earlier than ever. Running backs are being drafted later than ever. Yet Nick Chubb is the one that keeps ascending every single week. Um, and to your point, like you're still able to get, you know, Tony Pollard at the two, three turn. You're able to get Derrick Henry, Ramondre Stevenson, Josh Jacobs, Brees Hall, all in round three. Yet here I am, the one that's advocating for Nick Chubb to be the uh, running back one overall. Just to your point on receptions, again, I'm going to cite Rich Rebar all the time. You should all check out his draft kit over on Sharp Football Analysis. Um, last year, Nick Chubb did not even catch a single pass on third down and ran just 17 pass routes. That can be looked at and viewed as a negative. Maybe it should be. Half glass full. Let's look at it as a positive because it's 147 opportunities that Kareem Hunt is leaving on the table. And I don't know if, you know, Jerome Ford fits that same. Well, I really am drafting a ton of Jerome Ford this offseason. Uh, fits that same archetype of a player who's just going to sub in there on uh, on passing downs. You'd have to go all the way down to like Demetric Felton to like yes. maybe find somebody that'll take that role. I don't know. We'll see if they get like a camp body, you know, if the hit get. I, I can't even name somebody like a J.D. McKissick, but I, I kind of yeah. doubt it. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. And you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series, and when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right. Three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. Next up, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. You have Mike Evans right now at 20% drafted. Chris Godwin at 15% drafted. Um, this is such a fascinating conversation because where these guys are being selected overall compared to where they were finishing last year, like Mike Evans finished as the wide receiver 14 in points per game last year. Now you can get him as the wide receiver 36. Chris Godwin finished as the wide receiver 17 last year in points per game. Now you can get him as the wide receiver 29. 
I'll be honest. I like once these Pomeranians roll through, I think that that 20 percent will creep down to like 15 percent. You and uh, Jacob Sanderson spoke some uh, truth into me, but I'm still drafting them. I do like them. It's gotten to a spot where like we're talking about Mike Evans and it's like 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 you just said, like we're talking like wide receiver 36. Like things would have to go horribly wrong uh, for him to like go way under that. Now we can kind of debate, you know, the upside. You know, I, I don't think Mike Evans is finishing as a top 12 wide receiver, but I was looking through. Since uh, I don't have ADP past 2017, but since 2017, his lowest price has been wide receiver 14 and his lowest point per game finish since 2017 has been wide receiver 19. So now we're drafting like that. Just just my, you know, like fifth grade brain is like, that's a lot of room. That's a lot of that's a lot of wiggle room here um, for Mike Evans. Now, of course, like this is like almost like a sick experiment where we're saying, you know, when you take away Tom Brady and you have two really good wide receivers, you know, what sort of happens here? And it's tough to truly say. We saw Baker last year. Baker is kind of the scary part because I think uh, Jacob was also saying this like last year, where Baker has this thing where I mean, I'm sure you got to watch a you got you got some front row seats to it's the awful. Baker show, where he's going he's going to like a sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth progression, and he's like holding on to it, you know, playing backyard football, and that kind of screws over your DJ Moore's where they're going to be the first read, and you know they can't hit him there. It's going to be tough with Baker. But even still, like it's not going to be a good team. There should be pass attempts. It's not a an overly strong division. I, I do almost feel like now Mike Evans has been someone where his target share has gone down recently and he hasn't been as big as a, you know, like alpha type target demanding wide receiver. But I do think, uh, you know, with your like ancillary pieces of like Julio and Antonio Browns of the last couple of years are gone. You have Brady gone, who I think Brady's someone who over an entire career, I would confidently say, kind of spreads the ball thin right between, you know, your Amendola's and whoever else he's throwing to. Um, and I think it's going to consolidate a little bit. We're going to see Mike Evans maybe come back to like a 22 percent, 23 percent type of target share. And the sneaky thing to look at with Baker is he he could be completely cooked. And I think there's a good chance he's completely cooked. But early on in his career in Cleveland, uh, he was actually a great downfield thrower. Uh, 2018, 2019, 2020, he had a 90 plus uh, PFF grade on throws of 20 plus yards. He had a 26 to three big time throw to turnworthy play ratio in year one, 25 to 10 in year two, 21 to seven in year three. So there's some upside there where, you know, maybe he can chuck it and sort of find some of that magic where he was a little bit more of a gunslinger in Cleveland. Uh, but it's definitely not, I, I don't feel, I don't feel fantastic taking Mike Evans, but when you take him in round six in best ball, it's like, if all else fails, right. Maybe it's week 14 and your team has to get over the hump and you get like a 40 point bomb from Mike Evans. Um, and he saves you, even though having like a, a negative advance rate uh, on the year. Not to summarize it into one sentence, but you almost think we're double counting it for Mike Evans in terms of the loss of potential volume, the loss of talent at quarterback. And then that's resulting in, again, like the wide receiver 36 in drafts right now. I think where my brain goes, it's impossible to rewire our minds enough to the degree it takes to make the leap from Tom Brady down to Baker Mayfield uh, just in talent. And I think a lot of Bucks fans out there would say like, well, Brady didn't play that well, but the actual worst part of the offense twofold offensive line and play calling offensive line might be fixed, but man, they're like jumbling pieces around and plugging in starters that haven't been starters previously. And it is a new play caller. That is a total unknown. Um, but this stood out to me over the past two seasons. The Bucs have led the NFL in passing attempts and only five teams have ever thrown the ball 700 or more times in a season. And two of them are the Buccaneers in the last two years. So it's not like we're going to get even close to the same volume. 
And because of that, we might have to rely on efficiency. And as you said, watching Baker Mayfield, just relying on his efficiency is like, it's just the danger zone. It's, it's such a danger zone. And I don't want to doubt a guy for trying to get his 10th straight 1,000 yard season in Mike Evans, but I could, I could totally see this Buccaneers offense bottoming out, but their defense, because they're in this weird state and team building where the defense is almost too good for like the status of where the offense is. Um, and I, I I'm just nervous that it's classic Todd Bowles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm just so nervous that this is just going to look so different. And if it wasn't Tom Brady at the helm last year, things would have looked incredibly bad. But even if that's the case, man, I'm not even looking at Rashad white. I'm barely drafting Chris Godwin too. I'm not drafting any bucks. And maybe that's just because I, like you said, had a, front row seat at the Baker Mayfield experience. I think the, the thing that sort of carries me forward with them is I think because like that sentiment is shared with everybody and it's, it almost feels baked in, in a way where like, I, if, 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 if it was Tom Brady, we're talking about what Mike Evans, win, like a small one with Mike Evans, I can go from wide receiver 36 to wide receiver 28. Yeah, it's probably it's a small win that's probably impactful week to week is what's so interesting with Evans. Like, well, I think he's going to be one of those points added guys. Like, we'll we'll talk about Gabe Davis later, but that was kind of him last year. Like, he was like a he was like wide receiver 36 in points per game, but his points added was actually really good. So I I think Mike Evans can give you some of that. Like, it's just so intriguing to me to have a guy like Mike Evans and his like profile of having spike weeks where you're drafting him as like a fringe wide receiver four, right? Like a a wide, wide receiver three, wide receiver four guy, maybe not someone you even need to start in the flex in week one which just seems pretty crazy, you know, because he's Mike Evans. Um, I will say I love using Mike Clay's projections. And I'm curious kind of where you think here, because he he has Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both inside of his top 21 wide receivers here. Wow. He has Mike Evans tw- wide receiver 20, Godwin wide receiver 21. I think this is where you'd probably disagree. He has the dropbacks at 14th in the NS- NFL attempts at 11th which is probably too high. Like they're probably not going to sustain drives long enough for that to be the case. Yeah. Like even if you regress it out to like, I, like I think they, they probably hang out in like the twenties and attempts there. So it feels like they'll sort of flirt with top 30, but I do agree that the ceiling, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they become like 